The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose any medical condition, replace the advice of a healthcare professional, or provide any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Copyright 2020, Fireteam Whiskey, LLC, all rights reserved. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast, a podcast for military members, veterans, and first responders focusing on fitness, health, nutrition, and biohacking. Our mission with this podcast is to introduce America's heroes to lifestyle habits and hacks that will help them live healthier, happier lives, and in turn, be fit enough to continue their support of their communities and country. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of a discussion on issues that have to do with health, fitness, and wellness for military members, veterans, and first responders. I'm your host, Captain Stephanie Lincoln, and today we are speaking with Major Daniel Brown, who I have known uh, for quite some time, and um, actually we're going to get into that a little bit because I kind of don't remember where we met. I'm pretty sure it was in OCS, but I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll confirm with him once he gets on. But I did want to kind of um, read you his impressive background and experience and then talk to you about why um, I invited him on the show today. We've had him on uh, the Warrior Wellness Series before uh, talking about his fitness regimen. He's a super fit guy and um, you have to check out his awesome series on military leadership and um, he calls it bridging the gap and so basically it's him imparting his wisdom as a military leader um, in the infantry uh, brigade in the Florida Army National Guard and um, he is just uh, kind of giving back to you know other um, you know young people who are looking for some leadership some mentorship and also just kind of his lessons learned as a um, military officer and as an adult. So um, he always has really awesome nuggets of knowledge. So check out that uh, Bridging the Gap series. You can check him out. We'll put all the links in the show notes, but also he um, gave us permission to exclusively feature his series, Bridging the Gap, on the Fireteam Whiskey membership page. So if you want to check that out, go to fireteamwhiskey.com and sign up for our freemium access pass and you'll get access to all of Major Brown's Bridging the Gap videos. We update those as soon as he posts them. So we always want to see what he has to say about pretty much everything. So I'll tell you the reasons why we're speaking with him here in a second. But let me read his impressive background of experience. And uh, so you can kind of get to know him and where he's coming from. So Major Ding Brown is currently signed as the executive officer, full-time staff officer in charge of the 153rd Cavalry Regiment in the um, 53rd Infantry Battalion. And as the operations officer, Major Brown is the commander's principal assistant, key staff integrator, responsible for ensuring efficient and prompt staff actions. He serves as a leader of the squadron staff, with special emphasis on sustainment, administrative, and logistical support to units within the squadron. Major Brown establishes and monitors the headquarters battle rhythm and nests it with high and subordinate um, headquarters battle rhythms for effective planning support, decision-making, and other critical function, functions. He is responsible for ensuring staff processes are efficient and fully nested with the 53rd IBCT staff efforts and as the FTS OIC, he supervises 
20 full-time soldiers, AGR, which is the Active Guard Reserve, consisting of a squadron staff and five separate USCs serving as the squadron commander's representative during his full-time duties. Uh, Major Brown branched adjutant general upon commissioning and receiving his Bachelor of Science degree in criminology from the University of Tampa in 2005. He branch transferred infantry upon completion of the Maneuver Career Captains course in 2011, completed his master's degree in administration from Central Michigan University in 2012. He is the, a graduate of the Command and General Staff College Advanced Operations course. Additional courses completed include Master Resilience Trainer course, Equal Opportunity Leader course, Operations Security Level 2, Anti-Terrorism Level 2, Airborne School, Air Assault School, and his decorations include Meritorious Medal with two Bronze Oak Leaf Clusters, Army Accommodation Medal with two Bronze Oak Leaf Clusters, Florida Distinguished Service Medal with Bronze Oak Leaf Cluster, Military Outstanding Volunteer, Volunteer Service Medal, and Humanitarian Service Medal. What did I tell you? This guy's impressive. So why I asked him to um, come back on the Warrior Wellness Podcast uh, in this day and age, um, as of this recording, we are going through some pretty tough times uh, within our nation concerning um, racial inequities and um, in general, um, just kind of a, a failure of leadership across the board, across our nation and uh, the, the whole COVID pandemic and um, our, our nation um, to, to say the least is at a, a state of unrest or unease as my favorite chaplain says. So we are at a state of unease. Um, last week, I brought to you a podcast where I sat down and had a discussion with my very first platoon sergeant, and he is also a deputy sheriff, and uh, he's um, in his 60s, so he has kind of a, a different generational outlook on these things, talking about military leadership and bringing up um, those you know, uh, behind him and creating a good example by leading from the front and um, some of the generational kind of conflicts and issues that, that occur within that effort. And then I wanted to reach back out to Major Brown, not only because of, you know, he's, he's a couple of decades uh, behind Sergeant Major Schiffer and his leadership. So it's, things have changed, the roles of military leaders have changed, but as a African-American um, man and as an African-American army military leader, wanted to get his perspectives on some things that are going on in our nation right now, um, not only as a military leader, but as a black man. And, um, you know, within his, he's probably, I'm guessing a, a few years uh, around my age, maybe he's in his late thirties, early forties like me. So uh, we have a unique perspective on these things as well. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Major Daniel Brown. So thank you, Major Daniel Brown, for uh, joining us yet again on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Um, we did this, gosh, it was probably a year and a half ago, um, and we talked yeah. about your fitness journey and how you are kind of uh, leading from the front with your fitness and health efforts, and you're still doing that, obviously, but um, we're going to talk about something a little bit different um, this time. It, it certainly does have to do with health, um, health as a human being and health having a quality of life and, and wellness of your soldiers. But 
I reached out to Major Brown um, to discuss kind of his perspective as a military leader and as an African American about kind of the, the, the racial injustice and how he's handling this, um, especially with uh, being a leader in his community and within the military. But first I wanted to, um, I could not recall how do how do we know each other? Where did we where did we run into each other? Where did we initially meet in the guard? That's a good question. I I, I got to be honest. I'm not a hundred percent certain where, but I feel like I feel like it had to do with Camp Blanding because I know that you were at uh, RTI for or not RTI, but yeah, RTI OCS mm -hmm. for a while, and I didn't go through OCS, but I feel like somewhere within Camp Blanding our paths crossed and. Uh, and yeah, I can't pinpoint the exact time that we met or because I know we've never served in the same unit right. or, or anything like that, but somehow our paths crossed and, and we connected on social media and, and just took off from there. Yeah, that's the, that's the strange thing about the Guard, I think, and the military in general, but especially the Guard. As I mean, I've been, I've known people, talk to people, and, and you have these conversations where like, where did we initially meet? Like, I don't know, like we weren't even in a unit together, but you know, I know you and I feel like we've run into each other several times over the years. So it's kind of the same thing with you and I. Yeah, exactly. The small world. All right, so I've got my questions for you about, about all this. So um, so you're, from your perspective, Major Brown, as a military leader, so you, you are um, a high ranking officer you know, you, you have come up in the ranks, you're an XO, you've, you've done, I mean, you're, I read your bio, it's so impressive. You have so much experience under your belt. Um, so what is your advice to other military leaders and even any leader in any organization when it comes to, you know, the current racial unrest in this country? You know, should you address it or as, you know, upfront kind of a proactive kind of approach or should you just kind of wait until you, you get approached with the questions or something comes up? Yeah, you definitely want to be, want to be proactive. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of times we tend to be reactive and we don't necessarily address anything or make necessary changes until something happens and uh, enters up for and uh, there's kind of a call to action and then you address it. Uh, so I think us as leaders, we owe it to our soldiers too, to be very uh, proactive, to address things. If it's uh, racial inequality, racial injustice, then you know we owe it as leaders within our organization to uh, get out in front of our soldiers, talk about our policy, talk about, hey, you know, this is the National Guard's stance on it. This is uh, my stance on it as a commander. Uh, here's what I believe uh, as far as equality within our organization and my expectations. Uh, we've got tools that we can use. Uh, I know a lot of lower enlisted soldiers may think that the climate survey itself is, is kind of a joke because, you know, does the commander really read it and does it affect any change? But, you know, we have right now with the current momentum that's happening, we have that tool to utilize so that we can get a true climate of our organization. We can allow soldiers to uh, speak openly and uh, not have necessarily their name attached to it if they have something they want to bring up. Uh, the open door policy is great, but some soldiers may not necessarily feel comfortable uh, going into the commander's office. So we can utilize that survey so that they can candidly speak and, and we can find out if there's any, uh, what the racial climate is within our organization. And 
uh, you, you know, you never want to, you know, be silent on it. You see a lot of organizations, a lot of businesses, you know, they're being called to at least make a statement on it. And those businesses that aren't, you know, they, you realize that silence is not necessarily uh, something that's accepted in, in this particular instance. You know, there's a need for you to be out front and to, to speak to your soldiers and, and reassure them, you know, whether African-American or not, definitely the African-American soldiers, you want to reassure them, hey, this is my stance on equality and this is what I expect in the organization. And then uh, for the soldiers that aren't African-American to remind them that, hey, the stuff that's maybe occurring outside of our organization, the, the things that are happening, those injustices, you know, that's not something that's going to be brought into my unit. So yeah, definitely something you want to get in front of. Yeah, yeah. And just for the for those who um, are not in the military or maybe are veterans um, and, and, you know, they didn't have these tools readily available to them, or if you're, you know, maybe just a leader in an organization, so that the... the um, I think they call it the Commander's Climate Survey. Yeah. Is that what it's yeah, called? It's, yeah, it's a Commander's Climate Survey. So what it is is whenever a commander takes takes over a unit, then uh, there is a, uh, a survey that can be done anonymous where uh, soldiers get online. They fill it out. It, it discusses everything from uh, equal opportunity to uh, sexual harassment or anything that affects the, the climate of the organization so that that commander, as they take over, They've got an idea of what areas need to be fixed, what areas need to be worked on, and soldiers can address it with that commander as soon as they uh, they get to a unit. But it isn't something that just has to be done the first couple months of command. You can uh, do a survey at any moment. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that the key point to this is um, you've got to take the temperature of what's going on in your organization, no matter what organization you're in. You know, there may be some things, especially if you're new coming in, that or, you know, even as a higher level officer like you, you know, there are that are happening underneath the surface or have been happening for years and you're just coming in, you have, you have no awareness of it. So instead of just kind of having it fester underneath the surface, you know, to, to provide a safe space to your subordinates to voice yeah. their concerns um, is super important. So no matter what organization you're in, you really should have some sort of system set in place where you have a couple of safe spaces like a survey, an anonymous survey, or an open door policy, as you said, um, to, to allow them to bring up their concerns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it lets those soldiers know that, you know, this person coming in truly cares, you know, they really want to affect some type of change and improve the organization. And, uh, you know, some soldiers just may not necessarily feel comfortable uh, being a, a you know, for lack of a better term, whistleblower or uh, to rock the boat. They just may not feel comfortable under a, a current unit. So uh, if they if a new commander or first sergeant comes in and they have the ability at that moment to anonymously address an issue, then I'm sure a lot of soldiers will take advantage of that. Yeah. And, you know, me working as the director of psychological health with the guard, you know, we did the same, we had the same approach with, with suicide and, and, you know, and violence, you know, so maybe even having some outside resources coming into your organizations like chaplains, um, like mental health professionals, behavioral health professionals to provide that safe space so they can go and kind of discuss these things with these kind of neutral parties. And then, 
you know, in turn, you know, like what I did as a DPH is go to the commander and say, not say who said it or what, but say, hey, in general, these are kind of some things that are coming up commonly with, with a lot of your soldiers. These are, yeah. you know, maybe these are some things you might want to focus on in the future going forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. So um, I did want to address, because you do have the unique perspective as a Florida National Guard commander. Um, at, for some of you listening, you may not know that the National Guard has two missions. It has a state and a federal mission. So they can be called upon, and Florida constantly is. <laughs> I mean, just given its geography and weather and everything else, I mean, we've got hurricanes, we've got wildfires, you know, so um, in general, um, and then the COVID thing came up, so activated again. Um, so you have a unique perspective of, you know, the potential um, for being activated for civil unrest duties. And, um, you know, those kinds of, um, you know, concerns, are any kinds of those concerns coming up with your soldiers about, you know, gosh, what, what if we are activated and we were having to go to these riots and, you know, I have these personal feelings about this issue and yet I'm also a soldier, I'm a National Guard soldier and I'm expected to do my duty. Have you been addressing those kind of conflicts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, right after uh, George Floyd's death and, uh, the initial riots that took place uh, in the nation to include uh, within the state of Florida. Uh, our unit did get activated. Uh, we ultimately weren't utilized to support local law enforcement because uh, you know, as we got activated, things uh, started to gear more towards peaceful and the uh, the riots and looting that was that was kind of taken uh, that was kind of taken advantage of the of the peaceful protest situation. You know that started to die down. So there wasn't necessarily a, a need for us anymore uh, to be activated. But immediately after his death, I must have heard from, I think, three other uh, young black officers, lieutenants and captains, uh, just reaching out, wanting to just kind of, I guess if you want to use the term vent or give their, their perspective and ask questions and uh, get some type of quick mentorship on, you know, hey, this I've got this delicate balance of, you know, I'm an African-American male, you know, in the National Guard. We could be activated to support it. Uh, this is something that's different than, you know, like you said, our hurricanes or our wildfires or, or even working the, the National Convention or, or anything else the, the National Guard typically does. Uh, this is a little bit different because we can't just be activated and, you know, put, uh, just do our job and put everything else aside because this particular issue is something that affects, you know, your family members, that affects you personally. Uh, you see George Floyd and you may see that, see him as, hey, that could easily be me. And, you know, I want to be out there and peacefully protesting as well uh, and, and have that right. And I don't want to feel, which uh, a lot of soldiers do, a lot of black soldiers do, that, you know, they're a, see if I can use the right term, uh, a sellout or they're uh, against what the black community is trying to achieve by being, say, in the National Guard. And I'm sure police officers deal with it all the time. But, you know, just being in that element, being that soldier, you know, and being activated and having to support uh, local law enforcement, there's that delicate balance of, hey, how can I do my job and not allow personal feelings to be involved or, or 
or to, to just be able to do my job effectively. So speaking to those guys, I just remind them, you know, hey, we've got a job to do. Everybody wants the exact same thing, and that's equality across the board. Uh, to include those police officers working those protests, to include everybody within our organization, you want that equality. So they should never feel that uh, they have to be on one side or the other. Either I'm in the National Guard, or you know I'm for uh, equality amongst the Black community. You know you can't have both, and it's important that you as a soldier out there uh, more than anything you know you as a, a black soldier out there uh, supporting local law enforcement working these uh, peaceful protests you're somebody who can engage with the community who can show them you know that there's somebody who shares the same cultural background as them and wants the same thing and uh, and then also remind them that as we work uh, any type of uh, local law enforcement missions the intent is that we're trying to ensure peace. We're trying to ensure a safe and secure uh, environment so that people can uh, exercise their right to protest because that's something that you know everybody, every American wants, every American is for uh, that ability to peacefully protest. So, so they shouldn't feel uh, any negative way about uh, the situation occurring and their ability to support it. So uh, I did hear from a, a few soldiers you know, and was able to, to just kind of share that perspective as well as me personally even reaching out to a, a couple of 05s, African-American 05s and talking to them like, hey, what's going through your mind? What can I tell uh, some of these young soldiers that, that are battling the emotions of what happened to George Floyd with now being called to, to activate and support local law enforcement uh, during that mission? So it was, it was definitely an interesting balance and uh, one that is good. It's good that they feel that way. And it's good that it's something that can get addressed because uh, too often we have those elephants in the room that don't get addressed. So it was a good, uh, good opportunity to provide some mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. I think the common thing that, that, you know, we, in every issue with being a leader is staying silent is always the wrong choice. <laughs> You always have to be open for discussion, open for expression, open to listen. You know, that the, the, the adage is we have two ears, right, and one mouth. So to, to listen more than we speak and, um, you know, just, just continue the conversation, um, you know, and just be, be a person that a person feels comfortable with coming to you to continue the conversation. And, you know, you, you said something about the, the conflict between the two, um, which is, is so hard for everybody, I think, right now in the nation, not just for this George Floyd incident, but for, it, it seems like we have just really become a very tribalistic society over the past few years. And people do feel like they have to choose sides, you know, and there's more and more pressure to do that. Um, in our society nowadays, and there's a lot less tolerance for um, opposing opinions and, and, you know, and calm and, and rational discussions rather than pointing the finger or name calling, well, you know, if you're not for us, then you're against us kind of ideals. So, you know, that's, that's definitely um, uh, evolved over time to, you know, that's just not the way that the world was. 20 years ago, but it is now. So, you know, I think these young people um, 
our subordinates are feeling a lot more pressure to choose a side um, from their friends, their peers, their family members, their, you know, their whatever their groups are, whether it be political affiliation or their, their religion or whoever it may be. I mean, I think they're feeling a lot of pressure from every side of things to choose a side. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's unfortunate. And I know that, uh, like I said, that's just, this is something that's, uh, that a soldier has to deal with with every topic. If this was uh, another nationality, if this had anything to do with sexual orientation, if it had anything to do with riots over women's rights or, or equal pay or something like that, then I know that there's a, a group of soldiers that are going to uh, have to deal with that balance and have emotions and, and personal feelings about it because of how it affects them uh, and their families and them personally and then have to have to deal with that balance. So this particular issue, obviously, uh, dealing with equality uh, towards African-Americans, you know, it's, it's definitely something that the, uh, a large sect of the uh, National Guard is, is having the battle. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure with the right leadership in place, they're able to, uh, able to get through it and have those, those difficult conversations with the ones that are needed. Yeah. So the next question I have for you, you know, I, so we talked about kind of your military leadership um, perspective on things. And, you know, obviously you're a black man. So you have that unique perspective on these things as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about your perspective as a black man going through, through this kind of stuff <laughs> in this day and age, you know, what you're experiencing personally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, me personally, I've been fortunate uh, not to, to grow up in the age or, or be surrounded in the areas where inequality or racism is right in your face. You know, I, I'm, I didn't have to grow up in dealing with, you know, being called the N-word or having, uh, not being able to utilize things that, you know, your ancestors or, or even my uh, grandparents or parents had to deal with. And I've been able to utilize certain uh, water fountains or go to restaurants or, or whatever the case may be. So I'm fortunate not to have to deal with that. And my experience thus far, especially being in Florida and being with them in the uh, National Guard has, has been, you know, 90% positive, has been uh, pretty good. The, the majority of what I would say I have to deal with is, is uh, you know, just being in the uniform period. You know, uh, unfortunately, there are uh, individuals within, you know, your own culture, your own background that still feel that, you know, serving, whether it's in the police or serving in local law enforcement is still a negative within the black community. And, and I'm sure that's a, a small a sect, a small uh, amount that, that feels that way. But, you know, there are still family members that, that don't uh, believe that you should serve a country that uh, doesn't necessarily treat you with 100% respect or give you the same rights as they do others. Uh, so that, that's usually the main thing that, I, uh, that I, I deal and battle with. Like I said, I've been pretty fortunate not to have to, to deal with the, the in-your-face racism, but uh, again, that goes towards the things that are being uh, focused on and trying to change right now, which is systematic, you know, those policies that are in place. It, what you can see is that a lot of the nation, whether it's sports or uh, states, governments, are doing a, a, a kind of a cleansing and kind of an internal self-check, temperature check, like you said earlier, on what needs to change. You see uh, the uh, Confederate flag, you know, that uh, a lot of people feel a certain way about, a negative way about. 
is now being removed from, uh, for example, NASCAR, you know, where uh, the Confederate flag is, has commonly been a, a staple, you know, within NASCAR and, and it was removed and uh, just certain things that are happening where us as a nation, we're now looking and saying, what can we change? What now that we have the momentum and we're looking at equality, what can we do to improve it? Uh, which is, you know, a great thing. And, uh, and something that even amongst myself, you know, looking around, you know, my own organization, hey, what can we do to improve equality within our organization? Uh, I'm in the uh, cab up here in the panhandle. So uh, if people aren't familiar with the panhandle, the state of Florida is very different. So you have oh, yeah. uh, Florida is very different than central Florida, which is very different than the panhandle. So the uh, panhandle is a little bit more, I would say I see, you would see the Confederate flag and uh, individuals that would fly the Confederate flag a lot more in the panhandle than you would in any other part of Florida. Uh, that being said, of course, being in the uniform uh, definitely uh, gives you that, that sense of respect amongst anybody up here in the panhandle. So I haven't really had to, uh, to battle any inequality since being here. Uh, being in the organization that I'm in right now in the panhandle, all those guys are great. So my uh, fear or my worry is that, you know, we need to ensure that things systematically are in place. Even though you may not necessarily have somebody in your face uh, with uh, actual physical racism, what could be worse is just that systematic racism where there are things in place that aren't, that are uh, more negatively affecting the black community than others and, and uh, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. I think that's called the good old boy system, isn't it, Major Brown? <laughs> you, you and I both battle that. <laughs> I know that's a, a moniker of the National Guard. It was at least uh, coming up. Hey, the big good old boy system. If, mm -hmm. you want. if you're in with the with the boss man, you'll get the job. You know that was a, a big thing in the National Guard, especially in, in up here in the Panhandle of Florida, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to uh, trying to change that. So uh, I think we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you know, it, it, as as I'm glad that the guard is making um, a lot of strides in the the good old boy system, kind of you know, moving away from from that. And I think it's more just kind of also the aging out <laughs> and the retirement of of you know, kind of the old guard, right? Um, yeah. But it's it's also you know. <sighs> My, my husband and I have been discussing this a lot and I, I was raised as in a, a racist family in a racist area. I was raised to be a racist. So um, I have a unique perspective on that as well. And um, I can definitely say, um, you know, being in the military opened my eyes, uh, you know, to so many cultures and, you know, the human aspect of you know, we're all just human beings and we all, you know, just bleed red and, and feel the same feelings of happiness and sadness and go through, you know, troubled times and go through great times. And there's good people who make bad decisions, bad people who make good decisions and everything in between, right? And uh, that human aspect is, you know, we all wear, you know, the uniform and, um, you know, and that glad that to see kind of the guard is really starting to work on that systematic um you know whether whether it be 
you know, uh, gender inequality or LGBTQ, you know, that's definitely another issue in, in the military and, um, and, and racism. So we're making progress. And uh, so that's what we should focus on for sure and continuing to discuss those things. But um, so I, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, you're, you're a black man, you are, how, how old are you? I am 36. Okay, I figured you're mid thirties. So you're, you know, you're, you're, especially at the rank you're at, you're kind of at the point in your, your leadership where people are really looking up to you and seeking you out as a mentor and really eyes are on you about, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it, how you're leading from the front. Um, you know, can you speak to the importance of black leadership in the context of these times? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm one that knows that I, that if I, I can't pretend that if I walk, say, within a formation or let's say I'm at Camp Blanding or somewhere and there's a group of soldiers, uh, a couple young black E4s or E3s that uh, by them seeing me, a black field grade officer, that it's the same as if they saw, you know, a white field grade officer. I know that there's that, there's that sense of responsibility of, of mentorship. And while it won't be necessarily a mentorship where I'm constantly in communication with that person, you know, I, I do feel that that black leadership is important of reaching out to those soldiers and having conversations and letting them see, hey, here's, you know, somebody who represents the organization is at a, a high ranking level, but is also, you know, shares the same cultural background as you. So that they know, one, you know, it's attainable. They can arise in this organization as well. It's not an organization that would prevent them from, uh, from achieving those ranks as well. But uh, also so that they, you know, they just see, you know, someone that they share cultural background with uh, that, you know, regardless of their background and where they come from, you know, that, that nothing is impossible. They can continue to uh, excel. And uh, I mean, we know the most recent tag uh, before General Eifer right now is General Calhoun, you know, an African-American male. And, uh, and he was actually my first, my first battalion commander uh, back in 2006. So uh, first having a relationship with him then, and then of course he continues to progress up all the way to the, to the rank of a uh, major general. But to just have those people, have those mentors and those leaders that you can always call on, pick their brain, talk to them at any moment, uh, just to, to discuss the things that you're dealing with. It doesn't have to be anything uh, racial. It can be anything, just uh, how, how to battle uh, being a leader within the organization. Uh, mm -hmm. It's important. It's important for black leaders to, to reach down and, and, and discuss with anybody, but especially those uh, young black lieutenants and captains. I would say, um, unfortunately, a lot of, of black officers usually tip out around captain and then they get it out, you know, for various reasons, could be their civilian career, family, but for some reason, they, they don't uh, necessarily see it as a, a lifetime uh, deal or, or look to retire. They'll do their initial six to eight years and, and then go ahead and get out. And I think if they have the right mentorship and they have the right leadership there, that can encourage them to stay in and, and we can continue to grow a, a diverse organization, uh, starting with those black leaders, you know, towards the top then. I think that uh, that'll that'll get us there. Yeah, that's such a great point um, about you know kind of the the people who've gone before us, right? That you they're an inspiration. Major General Calhoun obviously was an inspiration to you. 
he's an inspiration to me too. You know, I, I can only imagine that things he went through to get to where he was to become the highest ranking individual in the Florida National Guard, um, and certainly the first black <laughs> general in the Florida National Guard. And I was fortunate in my first unit, um, we had the very first uh, female and female black sergeant major in our battalion, in the finance battalion, um, uh, Sergeant Major Alma uh, Johnson, John Johnson or Johnson. So um, it, it's so inspiring. You just you just don't know who's watching. You know, it, it could be somebody you never have any contact with. They may just see you from afar at Camp Landing, like you said, and they will notice. And maybe that might be the thing that inspires them to you know to keep going to become the next you know one star or two star general in, in the military so um leading from the front is always um, something you should keep in mind yeah yeah absolutely when we were recently activated we were at camp landing and uh, a soldier who i must have spoken to this soldier maybe four times in my entire career and i hadn't spoken to him in three or four years but uh, he found out I was at Blanding, so I told him, like, hey, yeah, I saw him at the PX, a young black kid, I think he's an E5, but he's going to OCS. And uh, reached out to me on Facebook, hey, I heard you're at Blanding, was wondering if I could come and talk to you, uh, going to OCS, want to get some pointers. And, of course, the conversation went from OCS to also, you know, everything going on with George, with the George Floyd death. Uh, but, you know, like you said, you just never know, you know, who you're affecting at any point and of course social media nowadays you know allows us that reach to where you can uh, post a video you can post something and it can get shared and and you have soldiers who you have never met and may never meet but uh they're seeing that video they're they're uh, able to uh to get that mentorship from it and like i said it's a, a soldier maybe that you'll never meet 600 miles away mm -hmm. yeah so um, the last question I have for you is, um, you know, from, from the context of, you know, those who, who are not of color, um, you know, what, what can we do to help? You know, like before we, we got on, I, we were discussing and, you know, I, I just am always mindful of the fact that I am not an African-American. So no matter how much I empathize and, and understand, I still have never walked in those shoes and will never walk in those shoes. Yeah. So what can, I mean, what's your advice for people who are, are not of color to do, can you do to help? I mean, do we, do we stay silent? Do we, do we reach out? I mean, what do we do? Because I know a lot of people um, of not, not of color are Kind of suffering from a paralysis right now of being afraid of making the wrong move and offending one group and but then you know um, joining with the other so the whole choosing sides kind of thing yeah yeah you definitely like i said earlier you definitely want to be proactive you you don't want to have that paralysis and i and i understand it when i dealt the same when uh when uh, it deals with uh, women's equality and um within the organization, within the army, especially, there was a big debate on um, things even down to PT tests and serving in combat arms amongst females. And, you know, that was something that I couldn't necessarily understand uh, that battle. 
So uh, just reaching out to a specific females to to include one of my uh, one of my uh, mentors, Colonel uh, Lieutenant Colonel Elizabeth Evans, and kind of talking to her about you know, hey, what exactly is it that you have to battle as a female within the organization and coming up in, in combat arms? But uh, I, I'd say all that to say, you know, you definitely want to go ahead and just have those uncomfortable conversations and never be afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or, or offend anyone. I think if you have those conversations, you know, with those, those soldiers of color, you know, let's say you're a, a company commander of an organization and you want to, to pull in, you know, your African-American soldiers and you want to talk to them and, and speak to them about uh, what's going on and pick their brain and talk and, and figure out exactly what it is that they're dealing with. You know, as, as a, a white commander, you know, that's a, a big thing. You know, it's a uh, respectable thing. It's something that you, you definitely want to do. You don't want to worry that, you know, Hey, this is a topic that I necessarily can't bring up because, you know, traditionally there were uh, certain things that, you know, you never discuss at work to include the military. You didn't discuss politics. You didn't discuss religion. You didn't discuss race. Uh, but we see right now, especially amongst race, that it's important to to have that conversation as long as it leads towards, you know, it's respectful and it leads towards improvement of the organization and equality. So, you know, have those those conversations with your peers, have conversations uh, with your subordinates, definitely, so you can get a good climate and figure out, hey, what can I do to help out? You know, you, you want to show, you know, those African-American soldiers, you know, hey, I'm with you. Um, we're in the military together. You, you spoke on it earlier when you were talking about just how being in the military really gives you that, that sense of, of equality, that sense of respect for everybody. Uh, you learn that early in basic training that, you know, regardless of anyone's background, color of their skin, you know, sexual orientation, nothing matters because at that moment you're all in the front leaning rest because someone did something <laughs> stupid. So. There's no, uh, there's no inequality. You're just all trying to get through it together and sharing the same experience. So uh, the military usually leads the way, I think, in, in those efforts when it comes to, uh, to equality, because we really uh, don't care. If you can meet the standard, then that's all that we care about. But, uh, but I would say, you know, those white uh, officers, NCOs, you, you definitely want to reach out to those soldiers of color and, and kind of figure out, hey, you know, let's discuss with me exactly what it is that you deal with, that you battle uh, daily. And, you know, just have an open ear and uh, share your own experiences as well. And then, you know, follow it up with a, you know, what can I do? What can we do to improve the organization? Or what can, what can I do to help you out so that I can assure that you never, you know, have any doubt that within this organization, you know, you feel equal, you feel wanted. And uh, I think by doing those, those two things, it really goes a long way. Fantastic. So is there um, any other closing remarks to anything else you want to add that we didn't discuss yet? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one thing too, uh, I would share that I did in my video amongst the, uh, the African American leaders, if you have, say your commanders or uh, your ranking officers, if, if they're not individuals of color, then it's important that, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait for them to engage in that conversation you know, talk to them, you know, bring that up. Uh, right now is a, uh, a pretty big movement. Like I said, a, a uh, somewhat of a cleansing of figuring out what, what are things that need to get removed from uh, our organization or from society as a period so that we can ensure and promote harmony and equality. So, you know, have those conversations, you know, go and uh, 
go to that open door policy for your commander and, and, and come to them with, you know, not just problems. Hey, this is what I see. That's a problem, but come to them with some solutions you know, always be solutions based. Hey, sir, ma'am, here's what I think we can do to improve it uh, within our organization to ensure equality and uh, encourage them and help them to, uh, to achieve it. Cause you know, our commanders, our leaders, they've got a lot on their plate and I know I've got a lot on my plate. So I know that my commander, I know that tag, the A tag, everybody has so much on their plate. So anything that we can do to help them uh, would be uh, would be justified and needed. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, your your point is, is fantastic. It's just, it, if you don't know what to do or what to say, then ask, you know, how can I help? You know, what what can I do to to help, you know, with, with this issue and just and then just shut your mouth <laughs> you know and listen listen you know always kind of be the person that that nobody's afraid I, I know there's a lot of kind of um, you know uh, intimidation you know with the rank and you're an officer and you know maybe I'm just an E4 and you know um, I think if if you're an officer and you're you have that open door policy and you you listen more than you speak then people are going to be more open to coming to you. Um, and this is in any organization, not just in the military. And we learned that hard lesson with the suicide issue, certainly. Yeah. Is, you know, the, the, the silence and the treating it like, like it was an elephant in the room and just courting it off, not talking about it, made the issue worse. So, you know, we have to talk about it. We have to always be open to speaking about it and not, you know, I understand these things are very uncomfortable and you may squirm in your seat a little bit, but it's only going to make the organization better. It's only going to make the issue better if you endure the, the uncomfortable and, and, you know, continue to move the conversation forward. Just keep it, keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, by being uncomfortable in the conversations, it means it's real. It's something that, you know, was an elephant in the room that's finally getting addressed. So, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Major Brown, for joining us on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, always. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Please follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Leave us a review while you're there. And screenshot that review, send it to info at fireteamwhiskey.com. And guess what? We're going to send you some awesome swag. Thanks for listening.